happy Easter, everybody. So glad you're here today. I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to look across this worship center. It's been two years we've been waiting to see this kind of a sight. <laughs> it's so good to see so many people back. We want to welcome all of you that are joining us online. We're so grateful that you're a part of our worship today and everybody that is in person. God has given us another Easter and he has brought us right here together on Easter Sunday. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say these words. He is risen. And I'm going to ask you to reply in unison. He is risen indeed. Can you do it? And online, do the same thing. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the greatest event in human history. It changed our lives. It gave us the opportunity to know the God of the universe and it changed our eternity. This is the most wonderful celebration to be able to come together and acknowledge that Jesus is alive again. Gabriel Herless was about to celebrate his sixth birthday. He was so excited about it. He was almost six years old and he wanted toys just like every six-year-old and he wanted specific toys that little six-year-old boys want. But there was also another gift he was really wanting so badly. He wanted his daddy to come to his birthday party. His daddy is Casey Hurley and he is in the army and he was deployed to Iraq and he had been in Iraq for over a year. And Gabriel had so missed his dad. But the birthday came and all of his friends came. His mom threw him a party and here are all these little six-year-olds, all of his buddies, and they, they brought presents and toys and he had the best fun just opening up everything and there it was. And then they were eating cake and while they were eating cake, one of his little friends said to him, Gabriel, did, did you notice the huge present that's in the corner of the room. Well, everybody was not paying attention and we, he, no one saw that present being placed there in, in the room. And when he saw it, he knew nobody else would have a present but him. It's his birthday after all. And so he raced over, bolted out of his chair and raced over and he began to tear the wrapping open like little kids tear the wrapping open for gifts. And it was about two seconds and he recognized his daddy was in that present and when he saw his daddy he screamed for joy and he jumped into his dad's arms and he hugged him so tight his daddy gave him the greatest gift of all because he gave him himself and that's why Easter is so important to us because God did the very same thing for us on that day, God gave to us the greatest gift of all. He sent his son, God in flesh, to take on a human body at Christmas. And he grew up to be a man and he lived a sinless life. And he taught us things about God we did not understand before. And he helped us to understand the truth of God. After all, he is God in flesh. 
He performed miracles demonstrating who he was and then on this moment, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and three days later, he arose from the grave to live forevermore. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves It's the defining moment. It proves that everything he told us about God, everything he told us about himself, everything he told us about us, everything he told us about salvation is absolutely true. How do we know that Jesus is the son of God? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last year, it was about this time, it was just three or four days before Easter Sunday, and I got an email, and there was an attachment with the email, and I don't usually read those things, you know, all these attachments coming, I just usually ignore them, but, but I saw this, and I was curious about it, and I opened it up, and this was a video that lasted, I don't know, three or four minutes, however long it lasted, about the veil in the temple, and, and it was so moving for me. I forwarded it to uh, Pastor Juan Carlos, Pastor Tony, and Pastor Dave Grummy, who, who leads our online service. And, and I said to them, next Easter is going to be about the veil. And it's next Easter. And so all this weekend, the Good Friday service and here on Easter Sunday, it's been about the veil. So what is it about this veil? Why is it so important? That is what I want to talk to you about today. Here is what happened through Jesus. Our separation from God has been removed. There was Jesus. He, he had been uh, taken and through uh, all these false uh, uh, trials before different people and then he was beaten and whipped and then he was nailed to a cross. And while he was on that cross, something sometime happened where God somehow brought all the sins of every person that had ever sinned all the way back through time. And he gathered all them up and all the sins that would ever, ever be done. And he gathered them all up, your sin and my sin. And he placed them on Jesus. And it was though Jesus had become sin itself. And at that very moment, we hear Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was at that moment for the very first time that the face of God was not toward his son. He turned his back to his son who had become sin, our sin. And then Jesus came to the end It's in John chapter 19. It was verse 28 or 29 in which Jesus said, I'm thirsty. You can imagine why. And someone got uh, some vinegar and they they got a sponge and they put the vinegar in the sponge and then they connected it to, to a stick and they stuck it up for Jesus to be able to get a taste of the vinegar. And when he did, John chapter 19, verse 30, it said that when he did, He then said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. That word, it is finished, that phrase is really just one Greek word, tetelestai. And the word tetelestai literally translated means it is paid in full. He knew why he was there. He knew what was going on on that cross. 
He knew that the sin of, of mankind, your sin and my sin, had been placed on him on that cross. And now he had paid the price. Now he had done the job of reason, the reason he had come in the first place. He didn't come to do miracles. He, did, he didn't come to teach us things about God. He came to die to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And he knew he'd done it. He'd been faithful. And now it was paid in full. And the moment that that happened, Matthew in his gospel, in his account, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 said, and at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two and from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. The curtain, the veil was suddenly torn in two as though God had just torn a piece of paper. Because what had happened on the cross at the death of Jesus, he had paid for sin. God tore open the veil that had separated us from him. Well, what does this mean? Let's go back in time. You gotta go all the way back to, to the creation of Adam and Eve, all the way back to the beginning of humanity. God made Adam and Eve and, and he made them perfect. In his own image, he made them. In his own likeness, he made them. And he made them sinlessly perfect to have relationship with them. And they did. And in the cool they'd walk, the scripture says, in the cool of the day. But God also gave them a free will because love that has no option but love, it has no ability but to love, it's not love at all. It's just manipulation. It's just pre-programming. They had to have the, the free will to choose. I choose love. God wanted an authentic love relationship between us and him. But a day came in which they chose sin. Sin is the word that you read in the Bible that simply describes anything that is below the perfection of God, below the perfection of how God made mankind originally. It, it, things that we do, things that we say, the attitudes of our heart, the motives that we have. Even if we're doing good things, but the motive is wrong, that's sin. And the Bible says in Romans chapter three, verse 23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfection. Not just Adam and Eve in the garden, but all of us, every one of us have chosen sin. And the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There was a little black bear that was uh, gotten away from its mom and it was just roaming everywhere. That little, little bear is about 100 pounds, which for bears, that was a tiny, that was a small little bear just roaming around. And, and it was right outside of Jameson City, Pennsylvania. 
outside, out in the country. It's wooded out there. And, and this little bear came across a jar that had some uh, uh, oil, cooking oil in the jar. He couldn't resist the temptation. It just smelled so good to him. And in order to get down to the cooking oil in the bottom of the jar, he had to put his head in the jar. But when he took a few licks and he got all that out of there, he couldn't get the jar off. And now this bear had a jar on his head and he couldn't get the jar off. And the problem is, is that you give him a little bit of time and he'll die because he can't get any water. He can't get any food. And every day he'll grow weaker and weaker. And when he was running around, he's got this jar on his head and people out there in the country would see him. They knew, they knew they had to help him. They had to get that jar off his head. And so a group of the, the guys there that live close to each other, they, they would uh, uh, they watch for that bear and then they decided, let's try to get him and let's try to help him. But, but that bear was scared of them and kept avoiding them, kept running away. But finally, they, they cornered that bear. He couldn't get away. And some of the bigger men wrestled that bear down to the ground. Good thing mama isn't around, right? Wrestled that bear down to the ground and held him down while somebody else pulled that jar off of his head and when they got the jar off of his head they let that bear go free but that bear avoided them for days because the bear was afraid he didn't understand the motive he didn't understand what they were trying to do we're not trying to hurt you we're trying to rescue you and some of you are here today and you don't want to be if the truth's known you're only here today because mama said this is easter sunday and we're going to church and here you are, you're here, you got a stranger standing up and talking to you and you're thinking to yourself, I cannot wait until that man shuts up and this service is over. But actually today wasn't the result of mama, it was the result of God and it's a divine appointment and God has been chasing you down. And you've been running from him for how long? And you've been thinking, I got to get away from God. No telling what he'll want me to do. No telling what he'll change in my life. But God is saying, you don't understand. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to rescue you. I'm trying to give you a life you will never be able to have without me. I love you. I care for you. I want you here. And I've got you here today. Because I want a relationship with you. You see, it isn't that we love God. The Bible says in 1 John 4.10, it's, it's not that we love God and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That he loved us. He is the initiator. He's the one that comes after us. We don't want anything to do with God. We don't even think about God. There's nobody that seeks after God. It's God that seeks after us. It's God that comes after us and won't let us go. It's God that keeps coming back to you and keeps telling you how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. That want to in your heart, that sense of need in your heart, that came from God. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing you to himself. But there is something between you and God. So there he was. Mankind had had turned away from God in their sin. 
But God, in a relationship with Abraham, chose the Israelite people to be the people that he would use as the conduit to bring the Messiah, the solution of our sin. God already knew what was going to happen before he even created the universe. He knew what was coming. He had already decided his son, he would send a son to be the savior of the world. And Israel would be the conduit through which the Messiah would come for the whole world. And he wanted to help the Jewish people, the Israelite people to understand about the whole issue of sin and separation and how that separation is, is removed. And that's what the whole temple is about. If you were here before at the very beginning of the service and you saw all of, of the veil go down, you got, you got a glimpse. There is the first, here's a picture of the first century temple the way Jesus would have seen it. There is the temple grounds and, and all of that space, believe it or not, is 40 acres. All of the space. Josephus, a Jewish historian, told us it, the whole thing is about 40 acres in size. You can put tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people on this temple site. And there, the only building, there's the building, the temple. It's huge, but it's only got two rooms in it. Friday night when we were together and we began this whole journey related to the temple, uh, Pastor Johnny Moore showed, told us about the altar and you see it. Maybe the, you see the little smoke right through the front door. Go back, go back to the first. You see the smoke there with the altar and there he explained that the sacrifice would be right there. You can't walk into the temple without blood without the blood of the sacrifice, the altar. And then Pastor Ender Palencius explained to us that laver that was right there in front in which the, the priests had to wash their hands and feet because you couldn't go into the temple dirty. Not just physically, but spiritually, it was sort of a symbolic thing of washing my heart before I walk into the temple. Now with the blood of the sacrifice and clean, I go into the temple. Now let's look at the second picture. And it has two two rooms in this temple. And this is the first of the two rooms. It's called the holy place. The other room's called the holy of holies. We'll talk about it in a minute. But this is called the holy place. Look how huge it is. You can see in the distance on the left, there is the lampstand, sort of looks like a Jewish uh, menorah. And there on the right, there is the, the uh, showbread that was put there on that table. And in the middle, you see that altar of incense that is there. But what I want you to actually see is the, is the curtain in the back. Do you see the huge curtain in the back? In Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31, he says, and you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, which are angels. You see the two angels looking at each other there. With cherubim, the work of a skilled workman. Josephus was a Jewish historian that lived in the first century. The reason why we know so much about the first century, a big part of it is because of Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. He wrote several books of history outlining the Jewish people, the Jewish worship, outlining the Roman Empire. We now have had everything that he talked about that has been verified through archaeology, and it's amazing how accurate Josephus was with every one of his descriptions. He even mentions Jesus and the miracles that Jesus performed. 
He, he says all these things, but he's describing in one of his books the temple, and he is describing that veil. And when he describes the veil, he says that the veil was four inches wide. You go home and you look at the curtain in, in your house and it'll be maybe an one eighth of an inch. This is four inches wide, all woven together. So strong. It was amazing. Four inches wide. It was 60 feet high, the, the height of a, of a six-story building, for crying out loud. It was 90 feet wide. And Josephus said it was so heavy, it would take 300 strong men to lift it up. 300 strong men. Well, if every one of those strong men can lift 100 pounds, that would mean that this was 30,000 pounds. This is heavier than we ever dreamed. This is thicker than we ever knew. It is larger. And this veil separated this room from the next room, the Holy of Holies. And there was just a little slit in the middle. And that's where the high priest, only one person could go through that opening in the veil. Only one person, the high priest, only one time a day, the day of atonement in, in the fall. And there was a sacrifice. You see, oh, go back, go back. Not quite there. There we go. You see the man that is kneeling there in, in the front. That's the high priest. And on this day, the sacrifice on the altar's been made. And now he is going to enter in to the holy of holies with the blood of the sacrifice. Now let's go to the third picture. There is the Ark of the Covenant. This is just an artist rendering the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest is in there. And he, in that moment, is going to take the blood of the lamb that has been shed and place it on the Ark of the Covenant. No one else could go into that place, just him. Well, what would happen if he died while he was in there? Well, they thought of that. They tied a rope to one of his feet. And if he wasn't coming back in, they were dragging him out because nobody else could go in. The veil was the separation between everyone and God. This was the holy of holies, the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. The veil separated us from God. It was the representation of our sin. A few years ago, there was a woman who was just digging in her front yard, and of all things, she accidentally sliced through an underground cable. And as it turns out, that cable was a fiber optics cable, and for five hours, 3.2 million people lost internet. She sliced through the cable, and 3.2 million people lost internet. For five hours, there, there were people going crazy. There were people fainting out of hopelessness. Five hours, how could anybody survive five hours without the internet? Our sin has separated us from God. And there's hopelessness. The veil of the temple represented the separation between us and God. But on that moment in which Jesus died on the cross, 
He had paid the penalty for our sin. God knew it. Jesus knew it. He knew exactly why he was there. And at that moment, God then reached down to that veil and he ripped it in half as though he was tearing a piece of paper. And in that moment, he was saying, now to you and me, you have full access to me because your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, through Jesus, we can have a personal relationship with God. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Through Jesus, you can have a personal relationship with God. You can have full access to God. How do I know it? Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. And so, dear brothers and sisters too, dear brothers, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies where God is because of the blood of Jesus. This is the fresh, new, life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us by tearing the curtain represented by his human body to let us into the holy presence of God. You can know God. You can come into the very presence of God. You can come right into the holy of holies with God. You can talk directly with God. You don't need a priest to intercede between you and God. You can go boldly right in to the presence of Almighty God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because of you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of your life. Not because of some things you've done. But because of Jesus. But because of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ paid your way. And that means that nothing can take away that access because it was paid by the blood of Christ. So how do I get it? How do I have this relationship with God? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse nine, and listen to how he puts it. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord means boss. You've been your own boss. You've gone your own direction. You've done your own things and look where it's gotten you. You've pushed God away. I'm not interested in anything about you. But if you are willing to repent of your sins and turn your heart back to God, if you are willing to say, Jesus, you are my boss. I turn my heart to you. I believe in you. I love you. And I give you the freedom to be in charge of my life. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, not your brain. Our brain can say, oh yeah, of course I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, of course I do. But to believe in your heart means that you believe to the point that you commit yourself to him. I'm serious about you. I want you in my life. I want you to lead my life and guide my life. I believe, so believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I give you my life, I give you my heart. He says if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved right then and there. And when that happens at that moment of salvation, you become a child of God. Before, when we're born, we are a creation of God, but now, through Jesus Christ, we become a child 
of God. And the reason I bring it up is because it's referenced now. Look in the next two verses. And since this great high priest of ours, Jesus, rules over God's household, that's the family of God, over us who know the Lord, let us go right into God himself, his presence, with true hearts, fully trusting him to receive us because we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and because our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is why at Sugar Creek we talk about the blood of Christ. What's wrong with these crazy people? They're talking about the blood so much. It's the blood of Christ. It's what his blood did for us. This is Mark Hartman's paraphrase of the verse. And since Jesus, who's our high priest, is our Lord and Savior and has brought us into the family of God, we can go right into the presence of God with total confidence that God will receive us, not because of our goodness, but because of what the blood of Christ did on the cross for us. His blood bought our forgiveness, and now God accepts us because Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us because we've accepted him as our savior and we have demonstrated that fact through baptism. Christ's blood is not ordinary blood. It's the blood that defeated the enemy. It's the blood that crushed Satan's head. It is the blood that took the keys at death and hell. It is the blood that causes the demons to tremble. It is the blood that opened blind eyes and cured the lepers and walked on water and calmed the seas. It is the blood that restored the woman caught in adultery. It is the blood that forgave people who crucified him. It is the blood that sets you free. That's the blood of Christ, and that is what has bought our freedom. And you may be thinking, but not me. I have done so many things. There is no way. There is, you don't even know. There's no way after all I've done. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Shake off the guilt. Quit living condemned and receive the forgiveness. The blood says you are more than a conqueror. The blood says you can do all things through Christ. The blood says that the forces that are within you, the Holy Spirit of God, is greater than the forces that are against you. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness he bought for you. And he'll come into your heart and he'll save you and he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you and he'll begin to live inside of you and he'll begin to show you how to live your life. He'll begin to show you how to treat other people. He'll begin to show you how how to live in a way that brings honor to him in a way that gives you the greatest life ever. He didn't come to steal your life. He came to give you life in all of its fullness. I want to show you how to really live and you'll love it. You'll love every bit of it because look at what is happening to you. That's what he bought for you. Would you give your heart to Christ? Those of you who are watching online, would you give your heart to Christ today? Maybe you say it's the first time I've ever understood this. I I had no idea. But I want you to open your heart and by, by a lifted hand there on the internet as, as uh, those who are helping you I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning? And those who are here, I want to settle this relationship with God. In just a moment, we're going to close out this service. And when we do, you can go out these doors and into the commons area and you'll see the two-story playscape. And to the side, you'll see a room that says Next Step Center. 
and our ministers will be there and we'll, we'll talk with you one-on-one in the quietness and just personally. And you can give your heart to Christ if you want. The next step center, I want to know Jesus. I have accepted Christ, but I've never been baptized. I want to join this church. Whatever God's leading your heart to do, let this be the greatest Easter ever. Let this be the day you settle it with God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and oh God, we acknowledge we need you. Oh God, we need you. And we ask that you would move in our heart. You've been drawing us. You've been telling us how much you love us. You've been giving us this want to and it's come from you and it is you drawing us to yourself. And God, today we say yes. Move in hearts today, Father, to say I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ today. Move in hearts to say, well, I've already accepted Christ, but I've never been baptized and I want to be baptized. Father, move in the hearts of people that know you as Savior but need to recommit their heart to you on this Easter Sunday. God, we thank you for what you did. We thank you for the veil and the tearing of it representing our separation from you and now full access into the presence of the God of this universe. And Father, this morning we say yes. Yes to Christ. Yes to that call. Moving hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.